Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 39. And today I'm going to be looking at a very famous, perhaps the most famous parable of Jesus called the Lost Son. Now, parables are stories that contain truths helpful for every generation. That's why they've lasted thousands and thousands, um, well, hundreds and hundreds of years, because every generation uh, has a fresh new intake on the parable. And the lost son is one of the best known. Now, the thing about parables is they either tell us how to live, they give us wisdom for living, or... They tell us something about God, and if they tell us something about God, then you can be sure that the parable is going to be telling you something that you haven't considered, or you find it hard to believe, or it gives you a new perspective. It's new information at some level. And I think that you'll find that this to be true, especially with this particular parable, that upon first reading, you know, we always think we know these parables well. And then you start to look at them in a deeper way, and they contain all sorts of amazing spiritual truths that are so necessary and helpful for our lives today. So the lost son or the prodigal son Actually, the word prodigal means extravagant. means extravagant. And you know the story. It's all about this young man who gets off track in life, makes a lot of wrong choices, as countless others have done down throughout the ages, right? Nothing really unusual in that. Countless other people have done the same thing. So Jesus begins the parable... Telling this story of this lost son to a group of religious leaders who were disapproving of him because he kept company with the wrong people. It's always good to look at your context. So the context is he's being criticized by the church leaders of his day for hanging out with the wrong people. Kind of ironic, but there is a lot of irony in in Jesus' story. So the parable is that a man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that belongs to me. Now you can read along in Luke chapter 15. So he's wanting his inheritance in advance. He said, which is a way of saying, uh, this family's dead to me. I don't want anything to do with this family. I don't want anything to do with you, Father. I want my money. I'm leaving, and I'll never be back. So it's kind of an unusual thing to ask for. Be unusual then. It would certainly be unusual today. So in Jesus' day, it would be like saying, this family's dead to me. You mean nothing to me. It's over. I'm finished with this family. Give me my inheritance. Now, surprisingly, the father in the parable, who is the God figure, by the way, the the father in the parable gives the younger son his inheritance. He's the young one, so he gets a third of everything. 
Now, remember, the parable is giving us information about God we either don't know or we've forgotten or we haven't considered in a long time. So he gives the youngest son his inheritance. Now, I had never really considered this before, before this week, but I think it would be worthwhile just thinking about that. You know, what does it mean that the father is willing to give the son his inheritance and then give him complete freedom to do whatever he wants with his inheritance? If he wants to squander it, he squanders it. If he wants to use it wisely, he can use it wisely. This thinking this week is almost like our lives in a way, isn't it? I mean, we're all given this gift of life, and then we have tremendous freedom and choice how to live and what to do with it. It's like God says, yeah, here's your inheritance. You can, you can do whatever you want. If you want to waste it, you can waste it. If you want to spend your life wisely, you can spend it wisely. So we know the story here, or most of us do. Uh, the young son goes out and he absolutely squanders all his money. He uh, finds a job as a hired man, ends up living off a farm as a farmhand, and he's absolutely star starving hungry. And he's basically taken all his, his wealth and he's spent it on the high life. He's been out partying, wine, women, and song. There he is down at T Tiffany's getting his jewelry and over to Neiman Marcus for his suits and getting his, uh, what could we have? Let's say some handmade Italian leather shoes flown in from Milan. Use your imagination. Uh, the French laundry, San Francisco dinners, the finest Michelin star restaurants, the finest wine. Anyway, he runs out of money. You get the idea. He ends up being a hired, he is a hired hand and a farm, and he's absolutely starving. So there he is. He's looking at the, the food that the pigs are eating in the farm. And he says in verse 17, because he's dying of hunger, he says this, by the way. He says, I think I'll go back. Verse 17. There he is. He's looking at the food that the, the, the pigs eat. He's starving. And he says, you know what? I think I'll go back. Because I'm dying. I don't have enough money. I think I'll go back. And so he starts to rehearse. Okay, what can I say when I do go back? Now, I think I'd like to point out that there's no mention of him being really, really sorry here. Not necessarily. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. It's only when he runs out of money and he's starving hungry that he says, okay, I think I'll, I think I'll have to go back. And then in verse 18, he starts to think, okay, what can I tell my father? He says, okay, what I'll do is, is I'll go back and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against you, sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. How about you to treat me as a hired hand and take me back? So he's kind of figured out he's lost his position as a son. He's figured that out. I mean, after he squandered a third of the family fortune, well, he knows he's not going to be acceptable at that level. 
So he's thinking, well, maybe I can work and almost like pay back a little, you know, maybe I can pay it back. So that's the plan. I'll go back and I'll be a hired hand. Is he sorry? Maybe. We don't know. Is he brokenhearted? He did such a thing. Uh, maybe. What we do know is, is that he's cashless, he's starving, and he's thinking up a plan so that he can go back because life is not working for him. So the parable goes on. Remember, this is going to tell us something about God that we don't know. The, he sets off on his journey to, to go back home, and the parable tells us in verse 20 that while he's still far off, his father saw him coming and is filled with compassion and goes running toward him. So let, use your imagination for this. Let's put ourselves in the Midwest somewhere. Uh, let's take um, Minnesota. Nice flat lands, the prairie. And you know how you have these farmhouses with the big porches and then you can you can see for miles and you have the big long driveway there's the father standing on the porch and he sees the son miles away and the father starts to run down that driveway toward his son and he runs toward him and before the son can say anything he puts his arms around him and he kisses him, and before the son can utter a word, before he can give his rehearsed speech, Father, I've sinned against you, I'm not worthy to be called your son, the father ignores all of this and says to his servant, quick, get the best robe. Get the best robe. My son's come back. Get me the best robe. It's a symbol of status. You're obviously not a hired hand if you have the best robe. He says, put a ring on his finger. Put a ring on his finger. Now that in the ancient times, of course, the ring is a sign of authority. If you had the ring, you had the authority to make decisions on the land. You were in the leadership position with the father. Again, the ring authority. It means it's like a power of attorney. Sandals on his feet. Get me sandals for his feet, the father says. Again, only the, the, the hired... The hired hand wouldn't have any sandals. Only the son would have the sandals. And, of course, the fatted calf. The fatted calf has to be killed. It's time for a celebration. The father says, for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. The son of mine was dead and he was alive again. Now, we looked at that, verse 24. won't go into all of that because we looked at that last week. But this is a big theme in Jesus' teaching that you can be living but not really alive. That you can be doing life but be dead. So, the barbecue's on. The celebration starts. The party begins. The music's playing, and the elder brother comes home after working all day in the fields. And he says, what's going on? To one of the servants. He says, what's going on? And the servant said, oh, your brother's come back. Who? He says, your brother's come back. Okay, well, what's with the party? What's the big fuss? What's the big fuss? Why are we having 
Why are we having the party? Now, this elder brother, he's not annoyed because his brother's back. He's annoyed because his father is making such a big deal of it. It's like, what? After how he's treated us? No, I'm not going into that party. I'm having nothing to do with it. And for his, from his perspective, it's almost like this younger brother is somehow getting rewarded for such foolish, selfish behavior. And so the elder brother stands outside, no doubt arms folded, verse 28, stands outside seething with resentment, the unfairness of it all. Why, he never ever got anything like this in his whole life. And the father comes out from the party and starts to plead with the elder brother because the father loves them both. And he says, come in, your brother's back. We have to rejoice. He was lost, but now he's home. An elder brother is like, can I just remind you that he squandered a third of everything we own? And how do you know he's truly sorry? Even he said he's not worthy to be called your son, and that's the most accurate thing he's said in a long time. Let him work off what he owes us. Let him pay us back. Nothing's free in this life. And no, I'm not coming into the party. So he stands outside. His arms are folded. He's got this disapproving look in his face. It's just not fair, he says. It's just not fair. And it's not that his, his, brother's, it's not that his brother's return is offensive, it's the way he's treated by the father that is impossible to understand. What kind of a father would do this? Who'd do this? Look for him every day, hoping, hoping, hoping he'd return and see him coming and, and, and run down the driveway and who'd do this? Fling his arms around him and not even listen for an apology? It's just over the top, it's too much. I mean, the elder brother doesn't necessarily approve of his young brother, but he certainly doesn't approve of his father. Now, Jesus told this parable to religious leaders, churchy types, who were criticizing him for hanging out with the wrong people. It's almost like the, the religious leaders would be like the... Oh, they're the folks, you know, that try and do the right thing. They're, they work hard and they're conscientious and they keep the rules. And they can be, yeah, they can be a little bit intolerant of those who don't live as they live and don't believe as they believe. But by telling the parable, Jesus is indirectly saying to the people of his day and down throughout the centuries, However you picture God, your picture of God is quite inaccurate if you view God anything like people. So however you picture God, if it's a God who holds grudges and gets even and remembers wrongs, that is not who God is. People are like that. God is not like people <laughs> yeah however you picture God and you really kind of have to use your imagination 
uh, even with Jesus' parables, because it's like the neatest thing is God is like a God who is the best parent you can ever imagine. God is like a father who comes running to meet us. Now, some of us can't even imagine this because we've never really had anyone love us in this way. You can't really imagine someone running to meet you. Yeah, Jesus says, well, you're going to have to use your imagination here because this is the closest thing. This is, this is what God is like. God, it's not just about running toward you. There's a celebration over you just because you're you. It's like, who behaves this way? Someone that's more concerned about reconciliation than anything else. Someone motivated by compassion and love and acceptance. Jesus is saying, this is the way God is. Whether you understand it, whether you approve of it, or have experienced it, this is what God's unconditional love looks like. It looks like this father falling all over this son before he even gets a chance to say he's sorry. Before he gets a chance to confess or repent or pay back the robes on him, the rings on the finger, the party's plan. Yeah, you remember this used to be called the prodigal son? extravagant son many people have suggested it's really a parable of the extravagant the prodigal father who behaves this way Jesus says this is what your heavenly father's like and if you have trouble with the father image change it for mother it doesn't make any difference someone more concerned about reconciliation than anything else. That's where we begin when we start thinking about God. And when that truth begins to take root, all questions about who is in and who is out, they simply disappear. All the questions that people have, all the things that people have worried about over the years, it's like, oh, you know, Babies that have never been baptized. What about people born in other faith traditions? What about people that say they're atheists? What about people that don't believe that Jesus would say, what about them? What about them? Yeah, what about them? Whatever your theologic, theological wonderings are, let's start with a God that's more concerned with reconciliation than anything else. Begin with this image. God's like a good parent that runs toward you. And whatever questions you have about yourself, all your inadequacies, all your failures, all your sins, all your failings, all your brokenness, all your baggage, whatever you want to call it, Jesus would say, this is a Father God that comes running toward you and it's not just the running, and it's not just the acceptance. There is a celebration over you. Yeah. He gives us parables to give us truths that were forgotten 
Jesus would say, God's like a good parent who not only accepts you, but who celebrates over you. You bring God joy. But, well, wait, 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 wait. What if I wasted my inheritance? Uh, What if I knew better and then I went ahead anyway and lost a lot? Or what if, yeah, the beginning place is always grace. This is what grace looks like. Whether we understand it, whether we approve of it, whether it makes sense to us, Jesus is saying, this is who God is. This is what God is like. God is like the best parent you can ever imagine running toward you to bring you home to give you everything that you need. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher and we've been looking at what grace looks like, what our extravagant prodigal God looks like, loving us and celebrating over us every day. Join with me again next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher.